I'm Matt. I'm Annie AK. And I'm Melissa. And together we want to welcome you to Still Great Bob. If this is your first time joining us, together we are watching AMC's Mad Men, trying to answer the question, is it still great, Bob? This week we're discussing Season 2, Episode 6, Maiden Form, written by Matthew Weiner, directed by Phil Abraham. This episode originally aired August 31st, 2008. That weekend at the box office, Tropic Thunder was still holding strong at number one. Opening at number two that weekend was the Vin Diesel sci-fi movie Babylon A.D. The Dark Knight popped back into the top three, dropping the house bunny from two to four. We have a new number one single. Rihanna lost top spot to T.I.'s Whatever You Like. This week on Mad Men, Peggy studies a foreign language, <laughs> Duck does not adopt a dog, and Don controls women's bodies and speech. Mm, certainly yeah. tries. So before yeah. we jump into our, our regular discussion, I just wanted to touch base, have a, have a little kind of mini segment, if you will, about the the intro of this episode. And I was curious what you both thought of it. Okay, so the first time through the episode, uh, the intro starts and I'm like, cool, this song's a banger. Like, I didn't do any research, but my guess was that it wasn't time period specific, but, you know, whatever. So we were in the vibe. And then I was like, oh, cool, we had this really great episode directed and written by women last week. And now the first scenes are girls in their bras. We're back. (laughs) Okay. And then, obviously, the second time through, I was like, oh, okay, so we're doing, like, something with all of these underwear shots maybe like you still don't need to do that but at least there was more of a reason than like boobs Mm. (laughs) (laughs) i admit i didn't pay too much attention to the music i was very much stuck on boobs uh it was such a striking uh, motif going on there. All the women putting on their their um, their underwear and just knowing the na- title of the episode and all the bra straps and everything. And they had such a serious look on their face that I got really focused on, like all the women, very serious. And it just felt very much like some, you know, some scenes you've seen in movies where men are preparing to go to war and some medieval oh my movie God, and they're yeah. putting their armor on. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. It's not sexy. It's not supposed to be sexy. It kind of is simply based on the fact that these are very attractive women who are awesome, but it's that's not the primary thing happening. Yeah, and this is, I think, one of those things, like, at least for me, um, where you talk about, like, a low bar and the bar is, like, flat lying on the ground. Um, <laughs> but I recently rewatched one of my favorite movies from 2010 was Black Swan, which still slaps, still really like it, still very much my jam. But there were a couple times where I found the camera really leery. And Melissa, to your point, talking about we had this, you know, great episode written and directed by two women last week, and we're back to two men this week, one of them being the the showrunner. Um and I remember when I was watching Black Swan, it, it gave me, it made me wonder what would happen if this movie was almost identical, but written and directed by by women, and how different it, it would be had it come out now, or even then, written by or directed by a, a woman instead of Darren Aronofsky. Because there were a couple times in Black Swan that I was really like taken out of it or, or taken back by how he shot the underwear scenes and and Natalie Portman's character Nina putting on her her underwear and things like that so I it this for me didn't ping in the same sort of 
leery way. So I think they didn't necessarily go for it the way that maybe you see Zack Snyder shooting Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman sometimes compared to how Patty Jenkins does it in in the Wonder Woman movie. But uh, definitely hear what you're saying and it and it is a little bit jarring at first especially as you get into the episode later on and it start and we'll get into it when it talks about the are you a a marilyn are you a uh, a jackie thing and we have kind of our mm. our two main female characters in peggy betty and jonah's being different very different characters but then is this like madman's version of the same kind of I guess it wouldn't be a dichotomy, but a triumph, um, triumvirate, excuse me. Is this their version of kind of a false dichotomy, false triumvirate? Um, hmm. So there's, there's, there's lots going on there. But specific to the song, if, if we can indulge me a bit, um, it's, the song is The Infanta by The Decemberists, which, as some of you listening may know, is one of my favorite bands. Hmm. Um, a couple years ago, I had the opportunity to a attend a sort of Q&A with the Decemberists. So you had to pre-submit questions. I pre-submitted mine. It was it was selected, and it was about the Infanta and its, its, its use in Mad Men because, as you said, Melissa, it, it definitely kind of stands out a bit. It doesn't really feel like a song from 1962. It's not. It's from the... Oh, now I should have looked at when Picturesque came out in the early, two, early to mid-2000s. Um, and... The story was interesting. It wasn't. It was basically Matthew Weiner liked the song, and December Colin Malloy liked the show, so they like made a deal. So it was a bit a bit about, you know, how they declined use of one of their songs for a Dennis Miller special. So that was interesting. But the song itself, I wanted to kind of dig, dig into some of the historical content and how I think it relates to the episode a bit. So. Infanta in itself is a it's a title it's a, it's a person. So from Wikipedia, Wikipedia, excuse me, Infanta is the title and rank given to the Iberian kingdoms of Spain, including its predecessor kingdoms of Aragorn, Castile, Navarre, and Leon, and Portugal to the sons and daughters of the king, regardless of age. So basically, we're looking at princesses, prince or princesses, and the point of the song we're talking about a princess and then songfacts.com goes into a nice little kind of tidy overview of the song the song parallels the way a traditional infanta was turned out like a dressed up doll the song also hints at the personal powerlessness of an infanta in the spanish court except as a future wife of a king and mother of his heir any thought of pursuit of an infanta's personal dreams or aspirations was out of the question Thus, does the song shine a feminist light in a subtle and symbolic way the historic positions of virtually all, quote, privileged, end quote, women in traditional societies? So, again, definitely, I think what this episode is at least trying to talk about, but I think overall it's somewhat limited by its own perspective, especially in contrast to last week's episode. And, like, while we were talking about the intro, I'm kind of thinking about how um, the episode's called Made in Form. Uh, I guess, spoiler alert, there's a line in the episode where someone says, bras are for men. And, like, this episode was for the men. Like, it's not really, it's not really the women, uh, Peggy a little bit, and we'll talk about that, but it's not really the women that are experiencing, like, any a really tangible character exploration in this episode uh, that opens with women in their underwear, has this song um, about the powerlessness of 
privileged women, uh, which that seems like an insane sentence, but whatever. And, um, yeah, but, you know, the episode's about the men. Cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it certainly does address, you know, Peggy's whole thing with being ostracized or not necessarily ostracized, but not being integrated or part of the men. But it is not exactly what I would call a very nuanced. It is a bit heavy handed. It's 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 kind of the obvious story that like a man would think I'm telling the real story here, but about a woman. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's a lot more obvious that it was written by a man about a woman. Can I uh, just like <laughs> just be that person who has to bring up Autumn Autumn Wilds Emma because uh, I have a branch uphold. I have uh, it in the notes already. <laughs> like <laughs> this is not going to be the only time this happens. Let's do it. <laughs> so, um, all right, it's a great movie. Whatever. But in the opening, you know, after the opening scenes, there is the character of Mr. Knightley outside of the, the party and the other main cast characters and everything as he's getting undressed in his outward outward clothes and changing into his gentleman evening wear. And it's all very kind of perfunctory. And it's not unlike this scene with the women rolling up stockings and, you know, just very, and, you know, he's naked at some point, but it's just very like, it. there's nothing sexual about it at all. It's just, but it is a little sexy. But... Um, the director on the wild and the actor Johnny Flynn they were talking about being like they were joking about how it's like well it's time to to objectify the male characters for the female gaze and all that stuff but on a more serious note they're like this is we're just showing the character outside of the context of anyone else in their story we're showing them in in this incredibly intimate uh, isolated kind of way but it's not in a sex um context which i thought was really interesting because kind of a way of to attach yourself to these characters and seeing them in a really vulnerable kind of state that said i don't want to give matthew weiner too much credit for that because it is still three attractive women in their underwear on primetime tv i just thought it was interesting yeah it is the youtube algorithm recently put in front of my eyes the uh more Condé Nast content from um, Glamour magazine, and they go mm-hmm. through various um, costume dramas or animated period films or whatever, and they compare how accurate the costuming is to what would have been at the time. And there's actually a Mad Men one. They they kind of talk about the whole season as an arc, and I don't think they go into any like super spoilers, but it's like costuming spoilers um, and things like that, and arcs in there. It, they were talking about the type of underwear, so I've watched a lot of YouTube content about <laughs> the transition of like ladies underwear from like the 1800s to like the 1960s in the last couple of days. And then watch this episode. I'm like, Oh yeah, they were talking about that type of bra. Anyways, we will go on. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> so one of the characters that we have consistently not been a fan of is Jack. <laughs> I mean, I consistently no, because with how much, how often Melissa curses about Don Draper, it's not very consistent how we feel about him. Touche. Fair enough. No, and the only reason it makes me so mad is because I love him so much. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then you've got Pete, where you're like, God damn it, I like him today. Yeah. Um, and even Joan, who we were like, kind of most of the time, we're kind of like, I don't know about her. We're like, oh, I understand her now. Damn it. But uh, quite consistently. 
Uh, not a fan of duck. <laughs> the number one leader of men, according to P. Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will say, despite my comments about his consistently being not great, he does seem like he tries real hard to be, uh, to say and do the right things when it comes to being a father and an ex-husband. Mm -hmm. Keeping his temper and being, like, low-key supportive of his ex-wife and her new relationship and whatever's going on with her mother and not bad talker in front of the kids. Fine. Especially in the 60s. I was super impressed whenever the, his kid was like, oh, mom's boyfriend gave me $100 because he wants us to like him when they get married. And he was like, yeah, I mean... Did you expect her to be alone? I was like, I did not expect it to go that way at all. So I was like, okay, duck. Like, this is fine. I'm impressed. I am confused about his feelings towards this dog because oh boy. he was like okay. real hyped to see the dog. Then he was like mad at the mom about the dog. And then he lies to Pete and he's like, I made my ex-wife give him back to me. And I'm like, but you don't even want this dog? I'm so confused. Chauncey deserves better. Justice for Chauncey. Chauncey had quite a day. Um, Yeah, yeah. me... me me with sorry Annie me with duck in this episode is uh complex because I'm torn between really mad about the dog because I mean I have a dog as as some people may have seen on my socials she's uh recovering from knee surgery right now so it's like all about the dog and then the dog just being so like emotionally like empathetic to when duck is is sitting in his office and, and chauncey kind of like goes over and it's like oh i'm here for you dude it's okay thanks dad and then like when obviously we, we learn in this episode that duck is a recovering addict he's an alcoholic and so when he, he's scoping out the... i don't think i caught that i don't think i did either <laughs> Can we talk more about that? <laughs> yeah. Our, our first kind of um, our inference of that is when we meet Duck's ex-wife and his kids. And she says to him that, like, well, I know you're not good in, you're not good in the afternoons. Right? Mm -hmm. He said, you know, that, you know that's not true anymore. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I thought, I don't know really what I thought. But I definitely was thinking, like, oh, is that when you used to have your affairs and that's why you got a divorce? <laughs> because I just assume that he's the worst trash at all times. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's the idea of, like, going out for that long liquid lunch and then, because mm -hmm. it's advertising and they drink and you come back and then he's a Right, mess. right, right. So, and no, I think I, you're right. And I would probably, I would suggest, and I think it's implied in the episode, that then probably Doc's alcoholism is what led to the deterioration of his marriage. Mm -hmm. So his his ex wife, whose name I I can't recall, I apologize Pauline. right now. Pauline. It's Pauline. What what Pauline is saying that even though they've arranged for the an, an afternoon drop off. She knows who Duck used to be or who she feels Duck is. So she's going to bring the kids early so then he can't have that liquid lunch. Right. And then over the course of the episode, we see Duck trying to be a very good ex-husband to, you know, you know, have those you know conversations with his kids dealing. OK, with the hip hey, got his Broadway tickets and they're like, oh, we already saw it. Right. And just all these complexities. Plus Duck's whole thing with Don that comes to a head that we'll get into with Don a bit later. Um, there's all these stressors putting down on them, and Duck 
is looking for the, you know, going through the other offices that have liquor, right? Um, comes in, the dog looks at him, and the dog in that moment is his conscience, and then he sends the dog out into Manhattan somewhere to, what, get lost, get hit by a car, get picked up in the pound? I don't know. That made me real mad as someone who owns a dog. I assumed he was going to find his way back home to Pauline. <laughs> he just Maybe. lives at the office now. He just, like, turns around and is like... <laughs> Well, Pete wants an office dog, right? But even Duck knows how to get Why wouldn't Duck be like, have this one? What a dickhead. In fairness, so, I still would not want Pete to have my dog. <laughs> Fair. Touche. Um, so I'm really torn better between off really, on the streets. Yeah, right? I'm torn between being mad about the dog and then being kind of compassionate to Duck as, a, as someone with, with a disease who's an addict and then, mm-hmm. you know, relapsing too and I, I will hopefully he's able to you know it's just just one time and you know get back on the wagon but but we will see so I think there's probably more coming from Duck and we just don't know yet whether what path he's he's been on mm-hmm. or going to be on or continue on yeah I definitely got the sense at first that like he wants to try to be a good dad to his kids who he they don't seem to resent him, so that's a start for Mad Men, the world of Mad Men. Quite new. But he did seem a lot happier to see the dog than he did to see them. Uh, I got kind of the sense that when they were getting rid of the jo- dog, it was just the last, like the final nail in the coffin of them removing him from their lives because he's just mm-hmm. like, I gave up this dog that I love. So yep. that I, it could be there for you and can be consistent. And you're just taking my gift, my gift dog, and kicking him out in the street. Well, it's because her new fiance is allergic, right? Like, that's that's the thing. So it's it's that symbolizes his replacement, like, mm-hmm. even more, right? Yeah. And, and it's a super rational, totally reasonable reason to get rid of the dog. And at the same time, ducks, who does try to be a fairly rational pragmatic person for better or for worse has a very emotional response that he does not handle well no uh before we move on from duck just real quick i drove myself freaking crazy because um i thought for sure that duck's daughter was played by madeline martin who plays hank's daughter in californication and so i had to like go through the cast of this specific episode until i found it's not her but i like thought for <laughs> sure that it was <laughs> Uh, I did. Oh, one more thing. I did think it was really interesting when Don and he like have a chat and Don is like trying to be all like, I'm going to bring some tea to this conversation. You've been pitching. You, let's just say you've been pitching more to me than you have the clients. It means you have been selling their ideas to me than mine to them. And it seemed like Don was trying to be all like, oh, my job. But uh, I don't really know what happened there. What do you guys think? I think in their kind of their chat and that whole non-lunch, we'll tell Roger, who's trying to play Peacemaker, that we made peace lunch. When Duck Mm -hmm. talks about just trying to move forward and can we move forward, that triggers some, or seems to to me anyways, trigger a switch in Dawn, right? Which then I think also speaks to some of the stuff we're talking about with Duck being, you know, in recovery and his recovery at risk. It's just like, that's the past. I'm going to try and move forward. I'm going to be the best, you know, ex-husband I can. I'm going to be the best, you know, dad I can, so on and so forth. And I think when someone tells Don Draper 
that let's just move forward and continue running and continue walking, that seems to be something that Don respects and responds to. So that was my takeaway from that. Mm. Whether a truce has actually been signed, we'll see. Yeah, I... Duck hasn't done this so much, but like Don often tricks me with his motives up front. And so <laughs> I never like want to make a judgment on what he's doing until I see how it plays out. <laughs> um, so do we want to talk about the second worst in the office? <laughs> yes. Pete. There were like so many lines in this episode that I was like, I don't really get that. And I'm looking at my notes and I can't, I didn't write them down. So like now I can't ask you, which is terrible, (laughs) terrible. Because like there was definitely a line in the Duck and Don conversation that I was like, I, I'm, I don't know what is happening, but I don't know what it was. So, okay. (laughs) Anyway, Pete. Anyways, Pete, who is very i think transparent at least he may be complicated but i think you you get where he comes from which is mostly a place of insecurity and awfulness my my favorite part was that like we see we meet him well not my favorite part but like we meet him today in this episode grilling with his family and they're his brother's trying to tell him you know take a vacation just take a vacation Trudy's family has money take a vacation take a real vacation and he tells him, it's not about the money. It's important to the agency. My absence will be felt. Dude, Pete is oh not God. a real person. Like, he does not <laughs> talk like a real person. And, like, in the one episode when he's at the when he's talking to Trudy about his uh, fertility results, he's like, it is a relief, I do say. And I was like, Pete, that's a weird thing to say. And then, like, when he's, my absence is felt, I'm like, Pete, that's not how people talk. He definitely talks how he thinks people talk, like of education and money. But and he's so awkward too. Like when he's trying to keep that conversation going with Peggy, and she's just like, "Uh huh, uh huh." Trying to do my job. Uh huh. Yeah, it was super. He was like hitting on her, right? Sorry. I he felt like you say hitting on her in these notes, but my notes say like. P is being like all buddy buddy with Peggy. (laughs) Yeah, it seemed like he was trying to make a connection and he's just like, we've slept together. So obviously there's the basis of something there. Yeah. And I think, sorry, just to jump in there. I think when like I do have hitting on in the notes, but like I think a better description is what we're talking about here where it's like seeking that like an intimacy that Peggy Mm. isn't isn't willing to give him anymore. Doesn't want to give him. Right. And she's on a new path now. There's that wanting him that isn't there anymore, even if, like... Because no one seems super interested in wanting Pete. No, she doesn't care about Pete anymore. There was Mm. once a time in which Peggy would have entertained these conversations, but that time, my friend, has passed. Do we think he's interested in her now because she's, like, pulling back or because he's just generally having a flare-up of uh, daddy issues again? Or both. Do we think that Peter Campbell is emotionally intuitive enough and aware of other people's feelings that he would notice when someone else pushes, pulls back? Or is it just all about himself and how he's feeling in that moment? Hmm. I don't think Pete is capable of noticing or is emotionally intuitive enough to notice when someone else 
pulls back like that. He would expect Peggy to just be there and be emotionally available to him oh. if he needed it. Yeah. I mean, oh, I don't yeah. know if he necessarily can like intellectualize it or recognize it on a conscious level. But I mean, sometimes if someone's pulling away from you or there's like an absence, an absence felt sometimes on an instinctual level, you might feel it. But I think um, the reason I thought that he was going that he was coming to her from more of like a friend angle is because he treats her as more of an equal in this mm. conversation. Um because when they talk about like the thanks clear still thing, he's like they you know, they talk about the line earlier in the day and then he says, you know, later that he talked that his father in law loved it and he says like, Oh, I know that you don't like it, which is like acknowledging that she does hold some power in in this situation and then he says like just play with it like he's telling her like oh please consider me and that's Mm -hmm. why i was like oh this isn't romantic to pete because if it was (laughs) he wouldn't be acting like this but i mean maybe (laughs) he's just taking like um a different tact with her because the looks that he gives her when she shows up at the club later seems like he's in my in my read i think that like p is looking at peggy and being like oh you did this for me like <laughs> uh sorry i was laughing because i was thinking when first when pete first brings up the thanks clearsell line and peggy's like uh i'll i'll think about it i'll work on it And I was like, what if it's just him sort of unconsciously reacting to the lack of approval (laughs) that Peggy was giving, which is not something she normally would do before. Mm. And it's not, it's just that kind of instinct to like, she doesn't, she didn't immediately like what I wanted. So I need to get, I need to turn that around. (laughs) I'm going to think about this for a little bit longer. Yeah, I mean. But I did honestly, like the how afterwards he's just like, yeah, no, I know you didn't like it, but my father-in-law liked it. It's fine. It's fine. So it's totally there, cool. Yeah, he definitely pulls like the father-in-law card. <laughs> um, but Peggy is definitely like, okay, we are go- we are staying in our lanes now. And in my notes, I literally was like, wrote the word proud. <laughs> <laughs> well, later on, he kind of has a similar tone when he runs into uh, poor Chauncey. It's like, hey, hey, girl, how are you? Please show me affection you and love. You look lost. You even sound fake when you're talking to a dog. <laughs> but I love how odd he kind of like switches it off when he finds out this dog is not a female. Dude, they're really weird about this dog's gender. <laughs> like when Duck's like, they made you smell like a girl. I'm like, does it fucking matter? <laughs> yeah. Like, I wrote that down too. And this is, is this good is it bad is it is that just your way of saying yeah you smell clean Uh, like what they that is so funny but then i guess since chauncey's a boy he can hack it on the mean streets (laughs) (laughs) but but then you have duck who's reacting to how Pete's just like oh i should get a dog for the office and they're like oh what do you have it's like no 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 a dog just for the office not for like for me and I don't think that's a great idea. Yeah, this is like, 
I'm like, I don't understand anything in this episode. I mean, I do broadly, but so many of the details, I'm like, this is weird. (laughs) Is this what like all Matthew Weiner's episodes are like? Have I just not noticed before? (laughs) We should start tracking if I'm more confused when Matthew Weiner writes the episode. Well, I, and it's it, it's sorry to to jump in there. It's, no, just, right. it's interesting to me that you mentioned that because because it is a Matthew Weiner penned episode, and because it is so like moody and like masculine, masculine. Even though as it's like you know, ostensibly trying to talk about other things, um, there had all these moments where like I was expecting a Dick Whitman flashback that never mm. happened. We were getting right? the Dick Whitman music. Yeah. Like, yeah. We were definitely getting some like fog of war like facial expression. <laughs> yeah, no, and it, it's and maybe this we can use as a segue into Dawn, but like with all like the Memorial Day stuff and like it like you say, it would give us those music cues and then you it freeze in that tableau for a bit, so I expected it to cut like those episodes in season one and it didn't. So like that's I guess in some ways the episode is, is playing with my expectations, but then at the same time it's doing a lot of the same things just without the flashbacks, right? Is it just because the show has trained us to like put those Dick Whitman like flashback feelings into those moments when we think they're going to happen? Like, do you think that that the anticipation of that is like coloring how you're like seeing or how you're understanding Dawn in this episode? Or is it just you're like, oh, I was expecting that and I didn't get it? Like, I'm trying to gauge like how emotionally that like affected the episode because I think for me it did a little bit because like at the Memorial Day stuff when he's like he's so uncomfortable like Betty's like looking at him and she's like so proud I was like surprised he even stood up to be honest Mm -hmm. with you Betty's like so proud and like Sally is like oh my daddy and he's like I gotta I gotta fucking go. And so I'm like, oh, are you having, like, a moment? Like, you need time to yourself? But then he's really just going to call his girlfriend. And I was like, I mean, okay. Like, I was, like, getting, I, multiple times I was like, oh, Don's gonna have, like, an emotional moment. But really, he's just gonna go call his girlfriend, I guess. I don't know. But that's what he does, right? When when he's about to have an emotional moment, he, like, runs and tries, like, he just runs. That's, like, his whole... His whole thing is not dealing with it, right? Yeah, totally true. Which I think is maybe why I was expecting some of more of the flashbacks to kind of inform why. And maybe we've to this point have have seen enough to know that that's his mo, so we don't need to like you know see depression era Dick Whitman again or or Korean War Dick Whitman. But I think that's probably why I was kind of expecting them because that's been the show's kind of pattern to date right especially as it Mm -hmm. relates to an episode where we see some extra bad behavior from dawn right above the the normal bad behavior it's all bad but when we spend more time in it i guess and speaking of bad behavior just really quickly before we even though i'm the one who started the transition sorry about that um to dawn specifically i don't want to let pete off the hook in which peter has Oh yeah. I think oh, his yeah. next on his second on screen affair, Count Peggy is the, the first <laughs> that we've seen, where he uh, picks up the model from the 
playtext campaign that they're working on throughout the episode by handing her his his business card that says accounts executive on it. And, and she's like, no shit. And he's like, I'm going to follow you home. Yeah. You're impressed by that title? I'm going to follow you home. I I think they may have off screen stopped at the bar. I think there's some talk of like <laughs> scotch and things like that. But yeah, no, he definitely followed her home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Which is like not his first time doing that. No. And does he only go home with women who are like very impressed by him at work? Because women, like Peggy yeah. is no longer impressed with him. So he was like, well, you know what? I will find some girl who thinks it is very cool that I'm an account executive. Not just that, someone who is very emotionally vulnerable because she spends half that conversation being like, oh, yeah, they were really impressed with my headshots. And when they got me, they were disappointed when they saw me in person. It's like, oh. And I guess like my my other I didn't put it in the notes, just kind of came to me now. I apologize. Um, But one of the things that like seemed a little jarring in the episode when I first watched it, but as we talk kind of just came to me. And, I mean, how much credit I want to give Matthew Weiner as the writer of the episode, I don't don't know. Um, but the idea when, when Peter comes in with um, the model and her mother lives with her and is kind of there and she's like, Mom, I have company, and kind of shoves her back into her, her room and the mother's room and kind of locks the door, also speaks a bit to that Infanta stuff that we were talking about before, but kind of the later stage in life where you still are seen but not heard and not spoiled and don't have agency and aren't even allowed to be in your own living room because you've aged out of you know how men want to see you or when you're either your daughter or the men around them want to around you're then just kind of like sequestered so that's kind of an interesting an interesting thing to the episode whether it worked cohesively or not with everything else we were seeing i think you could debate but so back to Don. So hero worship. Don runs away. He calls Bobby on the phone. And oh, on hold on. The- Before oh. we continue, I did want to point out we talk, you know, with us talking about Dick Whitman and all that stuff, and how we were didn't get the flashback that we were quietly sort of almost promised, but not really. I did get kind of like at at a moment with uh with Sally, who's this tiny young little thing, adorable preciousness, who looks up to and idolizes Don, and sees a hero. And in my, and just like, they had that little connection to me when you saw, like, because we, we loved Adam and he was just the sweetest man and boy. And he, you saw Don, who's just kind of like, kind of uneasy with the, with the like, yep, I'm standing up. I'm one of the vets. I totally served my country and made sacrifices. My, wa- my, my wife is super into it. And, and it's when he sees her face and you see him like really uncomfortable suddenly with that costume all over again. It, it just seemed to that to me was like the moment that was the flashback. This is the thing of him and the pain and the person that he's trying to run from. Now you may continue. Oh, You're welcome. Sad. Can I share a thought that I just had that kind Please. of makes me mad? But it's also yes. like. Like that moment in season one where the horseshoe falls over, like the luck's running out, and it's a little on the nose. Mm-hmm. Is the episode comparing Sally? And then I, I definitely agree, Annie. It's very like she very much has Adam Adam Whitman vibes in in that moment, and the uncomfortability of the hero worship. Is the episode comparing that to like when Chansey like? looks at duck when he's being bad and he wants to not be bad and then he gets rid of it with like literal puppy dog eyes 
<laughs> like, are those supposed to be similar moments or is that just an oversimplification? And like full disclosure, like as you both know, and to any listeners now that are parents, I am not totally equating those two things of owning a dog and being a parent. They're very different things and very different emotions. Um, but I'm asking if we think the episode's trying to do that. And if the answer presupposes yes, Matthew Weiner's also a parent whose son has in, been in the show. So it's weird, right? I don't think, um, I think it probably lands somewhere in the middle. Like, right. It probably, they pr- probably were like, and one of the major themes in this episode is how having a dog is similar to having a child. Um, but when, when they could, when it did kind of like parallel or like, uh, maybe not mirror, but like when the people working on the episode saw that those two themes were those two things were like maybe thematically connected they were probably like so clever right so what i'm picking up on like uh what i'm picking up on all this so far is this episode not the smoothest or most subtle this episode is a real come down from last episode Mm-hmm. It, it, it really is and it, i think if it had been if like and I, I mean of course you couldn't switch the order of the two episodes based on like what happens or maybe you could i don't know but that's that's not the point but like if it was building up to something like the last episode okay i, I could kind of see it because i don't know if i think that this episode is bad per se i just it is a huge drop down from last week um totally Which is agree so interesting because he matthew weiner became such like a revered figure almost as a writer and having created the show and everything so it's kind of odd that only in season two we get to an episode where we're like what is this what is <laughs> yeah this i mean it was like the type of thing where even like the second time I was watching it, I was like, I don't have notes to write. Like, I... yeah. The last episode was like it, like very inspiring. Like there were so many things that I like wanted to talk about, and it gave me a lot of things to like things that I found like enjoyable and um, fulfilling to like think about. And this episode is like, here's a list of things that make me mad. <laughs> Here's a list of places where I don't think Matthew Weiner is as clever as I is he thinks he is. <laughs> and like here's a episode where like don't say the bras are for men. <laughs> like, yeah. Ugh. I wonder too much I wonder too if like that whole like credit and, and everything else is because like I mean, yeah, he's the creator and yeah, he's the showrunner and, and is like, you know, the captain of the team but how much of that is like the same way that like don gets credit for like the creative mm, work mm-hmm. oh i'm of, sure it's a lot of, of everyone else right and, the, and even as we're talking about like hero worship and things like that it's just like yeah no this is definitely like i think a little bit of like self-insertion and like you working through your own stuff through your art which is like what a lot of artists do it's in contrast to last week's episode right so it's so stark yeah it really is one thing that i did all that being said well i did kind of like and we talked about like don running and and leaving to go call bobby on the phone is like the slow reveal throughout the episode that bobby has 
two nearly grown children or almost grown children and don had no idea and Jackson i think that bobby's that, a fucking baller right i know it's like, <laughs> the slow reveal is great but then i but like then the idea and i think a lot of the don storyline in and of itself is about how information is a commodity to don right uh-huh. and 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 image is a commodity and they're they're intimately tied things and the fact that don didn't know she had two kids um and then realizes that he's a commodity that he's talked about that information about him is shared leads to my next note which we can can get into but it was basically fucked on right because yeah, totally. it's he sucks. yeah <laughs> yeah which is admittedly a sentiment i think we have at least once in most all episodes yeah I have the words gross <laughs> and yikes <laughs> typed into my notes many times. <laughs> I think I just have a uh, after many sentences about how amazing Betty looks. I was just like, oh she just looks God. so good. She looks amazing. She's just like sunshine. She looks so good. She looks so Literal good. And she looks sunshine. so happy. And then Don walks in and makes that face. You're like, no, this is not going to go well. Mm. It's gonna go um, badly. Okay, one silly thing before we get too into it. Y'all know I was so mad when he is with Bobby in this like hotel or wherever they are, and this air conditioner is just blowing wind all around. I'm like, Don, you hate air conditioners. Turn that off. You're not allowed to be cool. Like, you're not allowed to. I will be mad every time there's an air conditioner and a naked Don Draper in an episode until I die. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, I don't think the show meant to do this, <laughs> but, like, Don only has sex when he's cool, and he refuses to get an air conditioner in his bedroom for his wife. <laughs> Goodbye. Yep. Gosh. Um. Okay, so when he's with Bobby, she's awesome, <laughs> and he's terrible. He's amazing. But... She has him wrapped around his oh my her God. little finger. But he thinks, he literally thinks that, like, he's still in charge. Because he's making these comments like, oh, is that everybody? And she's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I literally don't have to tell you anything about my life. And then when she's like, oh, my daughter's in a play. And later he says, oh, you can go. And she's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I was not asking. And she does it, like, in, like, the quietest of ways. But there's, like, um... There's a moment where she's trying to leave and he's like, how much preparation do you need? And she says, you don't want me to go. She's not asking. She says, you don't want me to go. And he says, I took the afternoon off for me because she rocks. He wants that. He has no power. He likes to think he does, like you said. And like he takes it like trying to get his power back from Bobby goes way too far, way too far. Don, you need to have some conversations about consent and safe words <laughs> like you cannot tie people up and leave them unless they tell you that you can <laughs> that's not i mean that was to do. that was his second dick move although in my head i'm just like <laughs> dick move <laughs> sorry um <laughs> that's a pun two times <laughs> i mean she could easily like reach it just the way it was done but i'm like Ooh. he's just being so petulant about the fact that like one She's been pointing out this whole time that how similar they are. And he just gets really bratty about it being like, oh, you, oh, what's he say? Do you, does it make you feel better to think I'm like you? And he hates this idea that, oh, he's not as slick as he th- thinks. All these women have been talking about like, yeah, that, that Don, he's putting it out and it's pretty damn good. So get with that. 
God, what a fucking baller move. She's like, well, I heard it was great, and so I wanted it, and I got it. Shout out me. <laughs> she wanted the full Don Draper experience, and she got it. <laughs> Don, I <you> mean, <laughs> for all that we talked about Matthew Weiner and his uh, clunky episode, the Bobby lines were great. Bobby was great. <clears throat> Just great. Well, and it's like, we haven't seen him be with any of the people that, like, I don't, like, I don't think that Midge or Rachel was going around being like, oh, Don Draper, listen to what he did to me. But, I mean, we obviously know that he's had affairs before, and it's just great to see it get, like, his past behavior um, put into perspective for us in this way where he's like mortified by it and I love it <laughs> right and he can't handle it right like like the, the truth of that and that his actions have consequences and he can't just you know pick up and move on to the next affair or the next account or the next relationship or whatever that's where he starts behaving uh, excuse me that's where he starts behaving even worse than his generally like bad behavior because that's when he he leaves her her tied up that's where he gets angry that's when the, he tries to re-exert his control that's you know and, and it's the same sort of pattern as like we've seen with his relationship with Benny over the over the last two seasons where in the bikini she's like oh it's, it's desperate I'm nagging you don't don't wear it it's desperate blah 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 some well, like, lifeguard's gonna look at you and it's like no it's it's about yeah no go ahead sorry no I <clears throat> I like I want you to finish. No, go ahead. I, just, I, was, I was pretty I, much done. Yeah. Well, he is like, when he says like, oh, it's desperate. Like, think of how people are going to look at you and talk about you and think of you. Um, like, he is controlling Betty. Like, he expects all women to feel a level of shame that he thinks is appropriate for, like, whatever behavior that they're doing. And, like, he expects women to keep his secrets because they feel ashamed of their behavior with him. But, like, some yeah. women don't. Like, mm-hmm. the, these are these women are not married. Like, these women have heard that you're good in bed and they want to sleep with you. And you're all around Manhattan sleeping with everybody. And so that's what they're going to do. And they're going to talk about it because they do not prescribe. It's, like your weird rules that you I'm pretty sure are making up as you go along so it's like Don you're the one who feels shame and you're just trying to put that on everybody else and like sorry buddy but it's not like that yeah he wants women to like want him but at the same time he doesn't want women to express their wanting someone or wanting a healthy sexual life like men like are his so wife. fucking weird like, like his wife that he's people, made babies people with people who sleep with you are bad like I, I, I does not compute does not yeah and i mean it's not the first time that he's been faced with his own shittiness and he just dealt with it awful and turned it on whoever it was who made him face it whether it's pete who's idolizing Let's move him to being that person yeah what the hell dude what the hell straight up fuck my kids Let's move. <laughs> right? yeah. and i think too that this all then ties into the whole playtex campaign and that idea of like that line that we've been been scoffing at throughout this recording and that idea about like bras being for men and and and, you know conceptions of of women and how men want women to be 
who they want them to be and that reflected back right and so idea of like if betty wears a bikini that reflects bad on don so you can't do it because it looks because don feels it looks quote-unquote desperate and that reflects on him or again removing the sexual agency of his other like extramarital partners and their ability to seek out and talk about their own pleasure seeking even though it's like in some way like it he feels it reflects negatively on him because it's something he can't control. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not through the lens of himself. It's through giving someone else that agency and that lens and their own ability, as, as you've talked about, to um, talk about their own wants and needs. And if it's not about him, then it, it has no value. Then we're back to season one, episode two, when he asked the question, what women want? And Roger goes, who cares? Don doesn't care. It's all about him. Well, uh, and like, I'm also like, I'm spiraling about how mad I am about this bras are for men thing, because like, honestly, bras are for men, because if men wouldn't have decided that they couldn't control themselves around boobs, or that like a certain look was the only thing that was attractive, or like XYZ, all these things, like no woman would be out here just wearing a bra for fun. Like, mm. (laughs) (laughs) but they're not like. Like, society, men created a society in which women have to wear a bra or they're, like, shameful and, like, fuck you. That's all. Watching the last, you know, century of, of, of fashion and, you know, a 40-minute concise of, like, YouTube videos from a fashion historian, it's, it's, it's really interesting how quickly things, like, get even more kind of casual and rela- relaxed in terms of, like, bloomers and corsets and, you know, chemises and, and, and that whole arc in fashion but as you're talking about Melissa it's still all entrenching the same sort of things like yes it's arcing and it's becoming like you know in some ways more casual and more comfortable but it, but also it's like not it's just redecorating the same thing right I just it's frustrating because like the problems with like I don't even know how to say this in like a concise manner honestly but like 2008 when this episode aired it was just as annoying then as it is now that like women's bodies have to look a certain way to be considered acceptable and that existed then and yet this episode has a line like bras are for men and does not touch the ways in which that's problematic at all because this episode isn't about women, it's about men. And, like, the fact that it's... I think that the reason that makes me the most mad is because it is true and because this episode does nothing to try to reckon with that. Mm-hmm. It's like That's the male ally... a very good ally- point. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like the male ally feminist cookie thing, right? Where, like, in 2008, we're like... Not us, but, like, we as a society are like, oh, this is commenting on this. And, again... Not everyone would be like this. I'm, I'm like totally generalizing, but it's like, yes, yes, this is about the damages of, you know, this, that and patriarchy and everything else. Yes. A man wrote this interesting. Well, good, good for him. He must be a really good man for like noticing these things, but it still entrenches the same structural inequalities. Right. And I like, it's almost not almost, it's probably even worse when it's like you're you're half there and like you're looking for the cookie, but still perpetuating the same inequalities and are blinded by your own patriarchal privilege that you can't even like comment on what you're perpetuating, right? Which I think is 
as I rewatch the show, becoming more and more one of my increasing frustrations with it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don. Don! I just... He's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is something of a problem, I think, and I think we saw this a lot in the in the mid aughts, with like the kind of rise of the antihero, uh, in at least in television, because I think we saw it a bit more in in movies already. But this is a character where we know is kind of objectively not great, and in a lot of ways we start to sympathize and appreciate him. But it doesn't always, like, take that final push to move towards some kind of growth or some change. It's just, like, maybe some acknowledgement on the part of the viewer and not necessarily of the character themselves. And maybe that was kind of, like, fine then because it was, like, interesting and it was different and we were cynical and this was post 9-11 and everything is terrible and we're still at war. But now it's just like, well, okay, we're still, like... Just like I just said, we're still at war. It is 2020. We are still in some of the same problems that we were back then. And now it's just like, how can we actually get past this and move on and get better? Is it possible? I was just going to say something that I'm like, I think that's what I'm grappling now with and revisiting things from that time period. Like we're watching Lost. We've got some characters who are like, oh yeah, he's interesting. He's cool. He's attractive. Blah, blah, blah. Now I'm like, and, and then what? No, and, and I think just to yes and that a little bit, the episode ends on Dawn, and there's mm-hmm. this really cool shot where, like, again, we, we kind of alluded to it before, where Sally's having this very, I'm happy you're home, Dad, you're shaving, I won't say anything, like this Adam, this Adam sort of vibe, and then oh. he, he sends her mm. away. And then he sits down and there's this, and then the camera comes back. I assume it's on a dolly and it it comes back. So you don't see him anymore sitting on, on the toilet in the bathroom, but you see like, it's probably the linen closet has a mirror on it. Mm -hmm. So Don was shaving, looking at his reflection. He's sitting there, the camera pans back on this dolly and we're seeing Don's reflection in the bathroom, like in the hallway. And it's like this great moment of like, imagery and like tableau and everything else where like again Don's reflecting it's textual with the amount of mirrors in the scene but then what happens after that reflection like getting to that point of like hey this doesn't feel good and maybe I'm a I'm a asshole that's an important point in I think any character's arc but especially like when someone like a cishet man like myself or, or Don Draper are doing is kind of doing that soul searching in the ways that we or maybe hopefully the authors of the art um, are having those working their shit through and having those reflective moments. But it's after you have that reflective moment where you need to see that progress and you need to see that change. And I'm not seeing it yet from Mad Men. And I think that that, as you say, Annie, is the more frustrating point and probably both rewatching it and then watching it for the first time in the year of our Lord 2020. Mm-hmm. Something that was like really jarring to me thinking about uh, my past self and my current self is this like almost sex scene between Don and Bobby because he's like being kind of rough with her and he's like tying her up and like those are very intriguing and like Don Draper's hot. And so I'm not, not into it. And then <laughs> <clears throat> 
he like leaves her there, which I've already mentioned is fucking awful. But at the same time, it's like that whole scene is like supposed to be sexually interesting. Like you are supposed to be into it in that way so that when he does leave, it's it's especially jarring. But uh, you can't tie people up without their permission. Thank you. And good night. And so, like, I know my past self would have been like, oh, I'm so interested in this. I should sleep with someone who's a shitbag so that, like, I can have, like, an experience like this. Maybe I don't want him to leave in the middle of it. But, like, also, you have to ask people. Like, Dawn, mm-hmm. what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. So many things. But, like, PSA, ask before you tie people up. Dawn is the worst. <laughs> so, um, Do we have any more Dawn stuff we need to do? Like, I think we... I think we got it all. We hate him. I don't know how much we need to go into that. Yeah. Additionally, I uh, mean, someone who we have encountered who does demonstrate something. I don't know if you want to call it growth or evolution, but certainly some sort of change over time. Um, I suppose you can consider her more "quote unquote" masculine or like grown up or whatever, which is a weird way to describe it. But Peggy does show someone who looks at what's happening around her and is speaking up more and asserting herself and reaching out to other people. So in a lot of ways, as much as we've like compared her to Dawn and placed her as like Dawn's protege, she, I mean, that is one way that she does change. Yeah. yeah. She, that's one way she is different than Dawn. She's making mistakes. Uh, They feel bad. So she actively tries to have them not happen again, which is great to see because that is we are running around in circles with Don and Peggy is really doing good work here. <laughs> uh, I do want to make a side note to say that the gray dress, the gray like fitted pencil skirt dress that she wore, mm. though, super cute. And I thought the perfect balance super cute. of like her youthful secretarial look with i'm a businesswoman well and they definitely had to put her back in her like plaid like little house on the prairie dress for joan to be like stop dressing like a little girl it's like yeah i mean she put on her worst dress in this scene okay like (laughs) (laughs) she was looking better earlier in the episode but it has been something noticeable in the past you know this entire season as she's moved into the copyright role and sits in the meetings with the boys, she is mm-hmm. always there with her little, like, little crocheted collar or, you know, the skirt that goes down past her knees, that kind of thing. I'm ready for her to to permanently change these bangs. Like, when she walks in the club <laughs> at the end of this episode and she's got her bangs looped over, I was like, hell yes, this, yes. Great looks. Please keep doing your bangs this way. It was <laughs> so, like, a good very look. small, curled, middle parted bangs do not work for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and she definitely put on a different bra. Oh, yeah. She's got her like playtex or whatever the fuck. Something a little I... less uh, gonna do the job, and that's it. Costuming's, I think, always something worth noticing and watching in Mad Men, especially as. You know, certain characters definitely have, you know, a certain kind of patina or color palette or, or things like that that they that they end up, the costuming department chooses for them. Um, but I think Peggy's definitely one to watch as she kind of, you know, continues her arc. Because even 
that the dress that that Joan chides in their conversation where yes it still has the plaid and yes it still has the Peter Pan collar it's it feels like a transitional piece to me because the fit is different than earlier versions of that dress Mm -hmm. um so anyways yeah watch the costuming how did you guys feel about uh Peggy going to Joan for her help um I thought it was a good move uh eh, maybe she like I I was definitely with her on her train of thought like if if Joan is setting these meetings and I'm not getting involved that's a way to like fix that uh under the radar without letting the guys know again that she is like unhappy with the way that things are going you know like i thought that was like a good tactic to take after uh when she goes up to freddie and she's like uh work is being done like all i needed to do was be at that bar like he's basically telling her that she's not invited to do her job since they're doing the work like in the bar and then he slaps her ass with a folder like i wouldn't be talking to him about this again either well i think as part of that too one of the like it's all egregious but including that they're talking about this account that that peggy is ostensibly on because they're letting her be on it because it's it's a bra account right and if you look kind of at the the history of, of Sterling Cooper and what they, the type of accounts they get Peggy, how she ended up on this career track. And then also like women in the advertising world in this period, kind of outside of the show, um, female copywriters were only given ostensibly kind of home supplies, cleaning what coded female sort of type products. Right. Um, and so she's on the play on the Playtex account. That's that's what they've given her. She's not in the bar for the after meeting. Kinsey comes out with a copy. They end up pitching. Right? Kinsey's not in that meeting earlier. Mm-hmm. Kinsey's not on the Playtex account. They go out drinking. They're they're talking shop. Kinsey comes up with the idea. They get drunk Freddie Rumson to sign off on it as the lead copywriter on the account. And suddenly, he has now bullied his way onto the account and Peggy is even more on the outside right Mm -hmm. it's not like they're giving her a lot to do or giving her other types of products you know besides the ones that are quote-unquote for women right so I totally hated that moment when Cosgrove was just like Peggy do you wear playtex and why and I couldn't tell at first if he was just actually like bullying her and picking her out of a crowd because she's the girl or because he was genuinely asking and he's incapable of saying things in a sincere way it was it, it felt um I don't want to say with the bullying it targeted it felt incredibly targeted and specific not just like you throwing this idea out here to you guys just like it felt like mm, not like degrading but like uh like patronizing mm-hmm. where he's like oh there's a girl here well what bra do you wear this is the input that you can have because you actually wear a bra because you're a girl yeah like hey there little lady <laughs> i wasn't a fan of it and i also wasn't i did this is just giving me complaining about the men um i didn't like the way they even demonstrated they're like we have this idea it's the Marilyn or the jackie here, let's open the door and let's just look at the women here as they're basically just objects for us to use for demonstration. 
Uh, Kenzie, in his, like, love of Joan, though, is very cute to me. So, Marilyn's are actually jo- Jones, am I right? Like, she can't even <laughs> hear you, bro. Like, <laughs> he will never let that go. It's, uh, I'm trying to find the right adjective, and I'm not, I'm not coming up with it. The, the best I'm coming up with is interesting, but that, I think, softens what I'm actually feeling. But, it, like, who, and we've already kind of touched upon this in the episode, so I don't have to belabor the point, but it's like, who who decides what the fashion trends are in this time? Who are casting films? Who's, you know, what are what patriarchal understandings are being entrenched at, you know, finishing schools like Bryn Mawr where, where Jackie O went to and, and things like that, right? So it's like, yes, fashion styles and how we wear our hair and, and, and what we wear is influenced by popular culture, but... Who is who are the trendsetters too, right? So it, it's it's all kind of a bit of a complicated jumble in terms of like how we're how we're 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 responding to and you know who's setting the trends and and things like that, right? I don't know. This isn't as concise a point as I thought it was in my head. Never <laughs> mind. Um, I did think it was interesting though that the original playtext campaign that they end up staying with is very much focused on you know the practicality of it and how the product how the playtex brassieres fit right made in form their competitors also lent their title to the episode um have this this different campaign that it's like i dreamed i was blank in my in my maiden form right so i, I looked up a couple of i looked up the advertising campaign because i was curious about the history not because i wanted to look at all ads of women in bras anyways maybe i should have asked one of you to research this for me but anyways <laughs> i did the I, I did the research so whatever i did it um it's so there's very things it's like and one of them that that stood out to me um is it's like i dreamt i won the election in my maiden form and then it's a picture and this is where i think the idea of the advertising being kind of titillating and the sex selling thing comes in where it's then the woman has her, her skirt on in this one ad and then just her, just her brassiere. Right. So with the, that's the longer one that kind of, that Betty's kind of wearing it. So the episode, it goes down to the, the waist. Right. So it's like the idea of, I dreamt I was doing this thing in my maiden for bra, as opposed to the practicality of it fits. And that's what leads to this, this, this Betty or Joan thing. But Again, it's that's what then removes about the idea of the agency and who you're actually selling like the product to. Because I mean, I don't know, wouldn't you buy a bra because of how it fits, not because you have the same model looking like Jackie O and the same model looking like Marilyn Monroe in the ad? I don't know. It just seemed like if it was if it wasn't broke, so why fix it? Mm-hmm. Because you're men and you think they're for you. Uh, or they are for you. I don't know. What did what did we all think about that? Uh, this is like silly, but I love that they go through this whole thing and then Maiden Form's like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not yeah. Because I think they could tell. Thankfully, they could tell. It's kind of like this isn't this is this is not a genuine thing. I just like why would you not listen to Peggy? Like. When she's saying, like, I don't think that all women want to be, like, either or. Like, that's how you see them. But, like, do you guys not remember how she got this job in the first place? Which was a whole lipstick campaign about not being just a color in a box. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hello? How quickly you forget. 
They were just so pleased with themselves and so in love with this idea that clearly this stroke of genius must be true. It is kind of interesting. And maybe this is a white ma- related to the fact that this was, again, a Matthew Weiner episode that all the nuance, even in the other men and the creative team and how they have been looking at Peggy and seeing the work that she does and the importance of her input and everything. And in this episode, they're just like broad strokes. Nah, woman, we know what we're talking about. And am I just projecting it on the fact that I don't really trust Matthew Weiner and because of his history and interesting ideas of wielding power? Yeah. I feel like this episode in particular, like, uh, like, didn't age well maybe that's not what i'm trying to say but i feel like this episode is more revealing about matthew weiner than maybe he uh thought it was going to be when he (laughs) created it it's not yeah because like it's hard for me to really pinpoint what he's trying to say other than it's hard out here for a woman which we didn't really need him to tell us that. <laughs> Thank you, sir. We figure that one out on our own. And then what what does Don's whole thing with Bobby and his reaction to uh, you know, the tables being turned, what is he trying to say to that? Was just like, yeah, it really sucks being treated like a woman and Don hates it when he's on the receiving end. Cool. What is he I trying mean, to say no when that. he throws a fit because he told Bobby to stop talking and she won it and then he does like a bunch of weird shit to her and then he goes home and his little tiny daughter is like, oh, I won't talk and he also freaks out. Like, what are you, are you, what parallels am I trying to make here between Sally yeah. and Bobby like and Don? Like, this, please stop making me think about this. Yeah, is he like suddenly going to reflect upon his treatment of women no no but i'm like... gonna go out on a limb and say not <laughs> i mean he may reflect upon it think about it with all the the mirror imagery but again i don't think there's going to be any change from it right right like, like so you, he's gonna think so about you it keep for lying five... to yourself and do yeah i definitely thought like oh is don now feeling like weird about the fact that like he is like, did this weird thing to a woman, and now, like, his baby daughter is, like, following those rules that, like, the woman wouldn't follow. Like, I don't know that how he's far a misogynist monster. This. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, cool. You now acknowledge the fact that it sucks to be on the receiving end of how you treat women, but okay. Okay. Cool. What about how you treat your wife? Or, mm. <laughs> there's just a lot there, and also at the same time, somehow nothing at all. <sighs> Don. And we've also somehow gone. And back we're to talking Don. about so. Yeah, how are we talking about Don again? I'm, I'm like, just I guess that. getting back to like getting back to Peggy. One of that idea of the spaces that like she's occupying, and now she's in this kind of in between. Her conversation with Joan, Peggy's kind of in this in between space where like, and I'm paraphrasing. I don't have Joan's exact quote in front of me, but she basically tells Peggy that you're playing in their world now. I've never been in that world. I've, you know. I'm, you literally have it in front of you. It says, I've never had your job. I don't want it. Learn to speak their language. Yeah. 
no, exactly. And the idea again of like spaces and who occupies them, which is ground the show has covered before. We talked about it a lot in season one, episode two in ladies room, which was also, I just looked it up. So if you hear any clickety clacky there, that was, that was me Googling it, um, was hey. also a Matthew Weiner episode. So hey. I don't know if this episode, and there are things that I think are interesting about it, but I don't know if it necessarily treaded any new ground. I think mm-hmm. the idea of then, you know, Peggy in that interstitial space in their, you know, in their their world now, as opposed as, you know, to paraphrase Joan there a bit, um, learning to speak that new language. I think that's interesting, especially like in light of you know, Peggy's arc and what she learned in the last episode. And I think this is where it really is is the fall off and the grind and the frustration for me is is Peggy then goes to the Tom Tom Club, right? But she's wearing her hair down and it's a different outfit and then she's sitting on the Playtex guy's Aww. lap and it just is like now like to learn their language she's a party girl, which again like n- there's nothing less as- there's nothing inherently I think wrong with with making that choice. It's just I don't know about the messaging of it in like that episode and if it says what mm-hmm. it thinks it's saying. Right? I, I would venture to say it does not. Yeah. Because if it said what it thought it was saying, we would have an episode like last week where we we're like, oh my God, we love this. This show is great. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's so regressive from whatever lesson that they were trying to impart onto Peggy this in, in the previous episode. And it's very frustrating. And it's not even like this is who Peggy was this whole time and she's enjoying it because you saw the look that she gives Pete. And, you know, kind of, I read it as kind of a guilt and, and shame that that Pete saw what she was doing and it wasn't sincere and she's not super proud of it. But this is what she learned this week that she needs to do to, to succeed. Because apparently being told to just be a woman and use all the strengths that come with being a woman to your favor didn't work in that past week between episodes so she's gonna yeah. just try the other tactic which i feel like is what she's been doing this whole time well now she's like Bobby. being a woman in the way that these men have decided a woman should be mm-hmm. kind of in a way that joan does but joan does, does it, in it her better own lane yeah and she does it in a way that's very true to Joan. Yeah. Um, Joan s- does the most with what she has in a space that men have said it's okay for her to be in. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of internalized that thinking also. Like sometimes the way she acts, I don't think it's like her being like railing against the patriarchy or anything that she just like kind of does what she thinks is right. But... Peggy comes from a place where you're like, this isn't right. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, I guess I'll try to game the system somehow. Um, I don't know how coherent this is going to go, so this might get <laughs> But Joan strikes me, I think, as one of those, one of the women who I'm sure we all know that are like, I'm not a feminist because women and men aren't created equal. They're created to do different things. And being a woman and doing womanly things is just as important as being a man and doing masculine things. And you're like, you're missing the whole point. (laughs) Like, (laughs) 
okay. Like, that is who I think Joan would be in 2020. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, so one of those when we were like, I'm not a feminist because I don't hate men. Because I don't hate men and I don't think that they were equal. I don't want to be outside chopping trees. And you're like, no one said you had to fucking do that. Like, You're just saying that people who want to chop trees can. Or that if everyone's chopping trees, pay them both the same amount of money. (laughs) Especially if they've been chopping the same trees for the same amount of time. I don't know if that's my read on 2020, Joan, but but maybe. Who knows? I do think that she still got a she still has a problem with like having internalized a lot of the uh, patriarchal like gender ideas around her. Uh, and it's not great. And she does still tend to treat other women not amazingly when they tend to go outside of it. But there is something to her, I think, that is more to how she uses her own femininity. That's just her. It's how she just operates in the world. It's not always great. But I think there is a lot more, it's a lot more disingenuous coming from Peggy. She's 100% doing something that is against her own nature and is genuinely, uh, probably against her own like own personal moral mm-hmm. beliefs as well. And that's the part that, I mean, I'm again, not saying Joan is like super great for it, but that's the one thing where I think Joan has over Peggy in this and it's very frustrating to see that after, like we said, with the previous episode with what she learned from Bobby, who we have discussed is trash, but also amazing. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, I, I don't have a cohesive, and I don't, like I said, I don't know how, again, he's being, being extra concise, and I, I don't know if I have a a totally, like, concise, concise excuse me, um, retort, but, like, it if Peggy decided that that's what she wanted to do and and she wants to own her sexuality more than we've seen her to date, be comfortable with at least outwardly, I think she definitely um, owns her sexuality in, in episode one in the pilot example by, mm-hmm. you know, telling her roommate to go to bed and, and letting Pete Campbell in. Right. So I don't think she's totally lacked sexual agency um, throughout the series, but just that idea of that kind of, comfortableness and expressing it and being like Joan like seems to be outside what we've we've known of her but I don't think there's anything necessary I don't think there's anything wrong with that I think it like the episode wants us and I to feel maybe a little bit how we're feeling or not quite saying the same things I don't I don't know I can't I'm now I'm now I'm contradicting myself from earlier but like I I think if that's if that's the arc that that Peggy's on and that's the size how she decides she needs to to be or or wants to be i think yeah i'm just repeating i'm i circled back to annie's point it's it's <laughs> because it's like it. yeah sorry it, it, i just no i i just don't want it to seem like like that being aware of your own sexual agency or your own sexual power is like inherently bad cuz i don't want and i don't think we're doing this but I don't, I want to be careful in the ways that we perpetuate purity culture and how Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's then personified a kind of bit with, especially with um, Peggy's kind of Catholic background and what she's comfortable with and not comfortable with. And then what 
Jonah's apparently co- or seemingly comfortable with, you know, whether based on what we've seen or what people put on her. So I definitely concur that it's like kind of feels a bit like Peggy's trying something on to learn the language that doesn't seem with her. But and I would agree with that. I just don't know if if Peggy decides that that's who she wants to be or how it is. I don't I want to be careful not to inadvertently shame that. Yeah, I think is for what sure. I'm coming from. Oh, for from. sure. No, yeah. And what I was about to say when I so rudely interrupted you was that the reasons that I feel um, differently about Joan and Peggy is when we see Joan do her Joan thing and completely own her sexuality. She does not, she never appears to be second guessing herself. She's totally comfortable. She's totally in mm-hmm. control of I her, you know, I think that Joan's totally in control of her image and she's curated that in a way that feels super true to her and you don't see any like hesitation or second guessing in her character. So mm-hmm. when we see Peggy in the club, like she looks super happy. She looks gorgeous. She looks stunning. Like I personally don't want her sitting on the playtex or the maiden form dude's lap because like that would personally make me uncomfortable and like I think it's inappropriate for him to be doing, but that's fine. If that's what she wants to do and that's comfortable for her, that's that's great but it doesn't look like it is at this point and that's right. why i'm uncomfortable with it so yeah. like if in the coming episodes peggy is out here doing this and she's thriving and she feels great and i can tell that she is comfortable and she has curated this in a way that feels right for her then like fuck yeah do everything sit on everybody's lap i don't care like yeah you know like i just want her to i i want it to be clear to us, the audience, that Peggy is doing something that Peggy has chosen. And right. I don't mm. think it is at this point. Right. Yeah. Nope. It just and feels she's probably uncomfortable for a lot her. of the reasons that you said that we might be, you know, like. Yeah. It just yeah, like, fair. like you said, it's her reaction where she feels like this is a, this is a detriment to her, like professionally, potentially professionally, but also psychically, just the way she's reacting to it. And, even having Pete look at her and see her and she feels a bit like she knows she's being untrue to who she is. Right. And just, it's hard for me personally, on a personal level, to accept that someone grabbing me and pulling them onto their lap is me being seen as an equal and Mm. being in full control of my powers, my individual powers as a person um, and doing it well it does still see it just feels like a backslide it feels like she's now the the the, the object the token girl and maybe that's how I'm supposed to be feeling about it and I, I but I don't like it but I think that we we know from past like all all the episodes we've seen watching Peggy she is trying on things and moving around in the world and kind of squirming a little bit to see where she fits and to see what feels good. Um, Mm. It reminds me the way I'm thinking about it is like when you're like trying to get into like a new yoga pose and it feels weird at first and you might Mm. look funny and, but eventually uh, you, you get it there, you get there to where it feels good and productive for your body. And like, I think that we will see Peggy get there to what, where what she's doing, uh, feels correct and feels productive for her. And we just don't know what that will look like yet. But I definitely think that we're still seeing her like squeeze around and try to see what works and what fits. Mm -hmm. I just wish it wasn't such a pivot from, yeah, 
last week and what she was picking up on and learning and trying to evolve through. Well, and it's like, uh, if she sees Bobby and she says, for sure, I want to be like you, Bobby said, use your femininity, Uh, she picked up Bobby after she got in a car crash doing, like, weird sex things with Dawn. So, like, even the person that she's taking this advice from is a person that, on the surface, like, she doesn't know Bobby really. She knows Bobby is, like, Dawn's weird secret girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a lot to unpack. <laughs> And we still have a few more episodes to go till the end of this season. Yeah, we do. We sure do. <laughs> Did we want to move to bits and bobs just for a little bit oh, respectful the time? Bits and bobs. Bits and bobs. Yeah. Um. Okay. Now we can talk about when I thought about Emma. <laughs> Emma, you say? Tell me the more. The Autumn to Wild instant classic. Um. Betty says to uh, Mr. I can't ride a horse. I do not know his name. Um, Arthur, I think. Ar- Artie, Arthur, yes. Uh, not she James Spader? Yeah. She, yeah, yeah. She says to him, like we used to say in college, let's be friends. And that is what Knightley says to Emma. <laughs> okay, well, that's all. <laughs> let us be friends. Like, shit got weird there for a minute, but I just want to be friends. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to move past it. So a couple things that stood out for me for Bits and Bobs at the Golf Club Memorial Day barbecue, of which the Drapers are guests of people I don't remember because I don't think we've respectfully seen them before. If they're at the party earlier in season one, I apologize. We get a reference to the Bay of Pigs and the Spanish-American War in the in the form of a Rough Rider veteran within like five minutes of each other, which kind of stood out to me. Seemed like very intentional references to... Um, American expressions of colonialism as it relates to Cuba. Um, and also of note in the Spanish American war, which is what, you know, this rough rider gentleman would have been a veteran of the rough riders being kind of the volunteer sort of force, um, led by Teddy Roosevelt before he was president, um, also helped usher in this expression of this new kind of American manliness as it kind of, you know, inspired by like the cowboy, but still in the response to kind of urbanization and, you know, things like this and risk taking and stuff. And so it definitely is like at play kind of in, in Mad Men here. And as I awkwardly alluded to earlier, I was researching the reference to Maiden Form advertising campaign. Um, look to our Twitter account. I will probably be tweeting some of them out later this week. I may have already scheduled the tweet for one of them. Um, <laughs> look for that. But also that campaign ran for about 20 years. So it was a, it was a long wow. running kind of campaign so if you kind of like google around like i was doing and look at it you can kind of see the art change in the 70s be born and you know even into the the 80s because it started in the early 60s so yeah always kind of interesting when madman references a historical kind of Mm. ad campaign the spanish american war is also the reason why my parents speak english thanks to its uh american occupation of the philippines after what's it 1899 it's it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders and this like ideal of masculinity because often with Teddy Roosevelt I think of how good he was at selling his image too yeah. as a soldier and then later on as a president like I one of his assassination attempts he was shot in the chest and he you know just like in the movies he had like I think he had a, a rolled up 
pile like stack of papers that had a speech on it so it only just kind of grazed him but he had this like huge blossoming blood stain while he's giving this speech and he just like it was uh, so affecting and left such an image on people that he's just this tough guy who's gonna give his speech even though he's been shot which is i feel appropriate for this show yeah and and he's like the anti kind of and the whole rough rider thing is like the anti kind of like dandy thing too, where you have this like perception of like urbanization in the Gilded Age and kind of the, the more kind of like soft urbanite guy and that that's Roosevelt's background. But then his image that he cultivated was so like in contrast to that, it's, it's, it's the Rough Riders, which they were a volunteer army that anyways, um, and it's the national parks and it's this, this like ruggedness, right? So. And also why we call teddy bears teddy bears. I get a real good history. I don't know what <laughs> taught me American history. I swear to God. <laughs> New podcast idea. All right. Well, we had a lot to say about that one, guys. God bless Melissa for editing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise, I'm not going to edit it at all. It's going to be two full hours and none of it is going to make sense. <laughs> uh, so, guys, where can we find you on the interwebs? You can find me on the interwebs at on Twitter at Mellow Yellow, which is M-E-L-L-O-O-Yellow. Or you can find me as the co-host of the Wild Pretty Things podcast, um, in which we talk about movies and TV through the lens of feminism. So pretty much the same shit we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Matt? You can find me on Twitter at at MattyHugh. And it's funny that we mentioned kind of Wild Pretty Things, which... As your listeners, you're probably aware, started as a Sharp Objects podcast and then grew and expanded because parts of this episode definitely gave me Gone Girl vibes. And I now want Peggy to, like, murder everyone in bed and bathe in their blood in the most kind of, like, goddess type avenging way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, in one of her cute dresses. Exactly. With a Peter Pan collar. It'd be perfect. All right, Annie, where can people find more of your work on the Internet? You can find me not up, not tweeting things on my Twitter at Pop Artery or on Instagram, where I also don't update things. I also have a, another podcast called The Daily Nightly, spelled with a K, where we just talk about Jane Austen. We also talk about Emma. There is a 50-minute episode about how <laughs> much we love it. So check that out. All right, you can also email us at stillgreatpop at gmail.com and uh, stillgreatpod on Twitter, which I also don't update, and Instagram, which I don't update. (laughs) All right, cool. Well, (laughs) bye. Bye. Later days. All right. Anyways, underwear. You're going to be talking about underwear a lot. Mad men. (laughs) Oh, mad men.